turn my microphone on. I'll turn my microphone on. I'll turn my microphone on and say that again. Howdy, church. Good to see y'all. Everybody doing okay? Yeah. Sounds like y'all are having a great week. I'm telling you, it's uh, pretty amazing, really. I have a couple of words that will cheer you up. Cooler weather. Oh, yeah, yeah. Supposedly, less than 24 hours from now, it's supposed to be a little cooler. If not, I say we all call Shell Winkley at one time, right? And uh, just all show up down there at KBTX. That would be a lot of fun, I'm sure. I'm sorry, some of you guys may know Shell. I don't personally, but uh, that would be funny, actually. So we have a couple of announcements to make. Uh, this coming Wednesday night, we're uh, looking at a new class is beginning on vibrant marriages, and uh, Kelly and Sean are going to be co-facilitating, and I think that's going to be an incredible experience. If you're thinking about getting married, if you are married, if you like the idea of marriage, this would be a great class for you to attend and take the deep dive into God's Word to do everything we can to grow vibrant marriages. We have a starting point luncheon today. God has sent so many new people our way. We had a fantastic starting point class this morning and met a lot of new people. And so we're going to be having lunch together in the parlor. Uh, Even if you didn't attend the starting point class and you're new or you just want to learn more about our church We've got all kinds of great food in the parlor. We'd love to welcome you. There'll be some small groups there to tell you a little bit about our small group ministry. And so please feel free to stick around after church for that free lunch. Our annual corporate meeting is today. Isn't that awesome? It's like the sound of it, don't you? 415 in the chapel. Actually, it will be a good time. We're going to be talking about uh, what God is doing with our budget for this next year, some capital improvement projects we've got to work on. Great opportunity to pray and hear what the Lord is doing as we ramp up for 2020. Yes, I just used 2020 in a sentence in reference to a year. Hard to believe. We have so many new members, I can't introduce them all this morning. Uh, that would be the sermon time. So I just want to encourage you, be looking at our bulletin next week. We're going to have a list of all of the new folks that God has sent our way. We have got so much to be thankful for, so many new friendships to make, brothers and sisters to bring into our space, and so we're grateful for that to be able to use their giftedness. Mission Sunday is one week from today. Lots of activity already. We raised two or three thousand dollars at the golf tournament yesterday, so that was a huge blessing. A lot of people who really helped uh, and um, and uh, got that got that ball rolling. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good, wasn't it? Um, golf tournament ball rolling. Uh, so anyway, we uh, really had a great day. It got a little warm, uh, but uh, we we had a wonderful time and uh, really really enjoyed it. Um, We also want to talk to you a little bit about something that we haven't showcased in a video yet. Uh, Earlier this year, we were in the book of Nehemiah, and we talked about the importance of making a plan and working the plan. Nehemiah shows us beautifully uh, how he did that um, when the people of God were really focused on the mission of God. Well, God has given us a mission as a church to be a church that helps people find hope and live with purpose. And so one of the things that we want to do is we want to transition some space. We've talked in large, broad terms about finding hope and living with purpose. We've talked about three movements to make that happen, to meet up and and to plug in, and then to live with purpose through learning how to be a disciple of Jesus. 
So we've got to change some of our ministries, and we want to change some of our space. We, we've, we've identified the plan, we're working the plan, and now it's time to get into some nuts and bolts of that plan. And so one of the things that we're getting ready to do is renovate what we fondly refer to around here as the glass block room. The glass block room is going to be revisioned, and it is going to become a new welcome center. So we have a few slides here to showcase what that's going to look like. All of the glass in the glass block room is coming out. We have been told it's not load-bearing. We hope that's true. So we're taking that glass out, and you can see the space in there, and you can see how happy the shadow people are, right? They're waving at each other. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to move our guest parking over to this side of the facility, and this will be our new main entrance, so that when guests come in and we change guest parking over here, the very first thing they're going to see is Welcome Center. On this next slide, you're going to notice that once we get in there, we're going, to well, we're going to open up the alpha room, and that's going to become prayer room space. And so when we dismiss our assemblies, we will invite people who want to know more about baptism or becoming part of our church or just need someone to pray with to be able to go into that space. And hopefully, prayerfully, each week, there's always going to be one staff couple and one elder couple and one uh, small group couple host who will be in there to help folks process and pray and, and do life together. We're also going to notice on this next slide there's going to be a coffee bar. I'm so grateful our church isn't opposed to coffee. Thank you, Lord. What a gift that is. And you'll notice behind that that there's going to be some space for information, and that's possibly going to be print media, possibly digital media. We don't know for sure. But we need one central place, a clearinghouse, where a couple, a family, an individual can come in and they can find out about anything and everything that's happening in our church and hopefully find hope and live with purpose, at least begin that journey there. Now, we don't have a definitive timeline for this. Uh, this could happen um, by year end. It probably will be a little bit more out into the future. We just don't know yet. Uh, could be, but sometime within the next six to 12 months, uh, we envision this space being revisioned, and part of Mission Sunday contribution will go to this renovation. Not everybody can go to Ukraine. Not everybody can go to Cozumel, but every single one of us can take someone to the Welcome Center, and we can have a conversation there about Jesus. And so we hope you're excited about that. You'll be hearing more about it as the next few weeks and months roll on. So let's talk a little bit this morning about Colossians chapter 2. As we talked last Sunday, we are in a series on Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, but he's not just writing to Christians in Colossae. He mentions in chapter 2, for example, Christians in Laodicea. And so he's actually writing a letter to a region of Christians. This was a letter that was be, to be distributed among multiple churches. This is a group of folks who love to meet up. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 4. They love the people of God. But there's something going on in this church. There's some false teaching that has begun to make its way in, and it's beginning to wear on these young believers. We don't exactly know what's going on, but we think it has to do with a Christ-plus uh, theology that is in play. As in, you have to have Jesus, yes, but you also must have ceremonial cleansing. Or we also think possibly there's some ascetic practices that are 
are coming into play, meaning the more radical the commitment to certain religious practice, the teaching is the closer one is to God. And, and this teaching is really starting to wear on these young believers, much in the same way that consumerism and cynicism wears on the church today. So in response to this, and as we talked about last Sunday, Paul writes to these believers to remind them of who they are in Jesus and how their relationship with him impacts their relationships with one another. And when we think about all of the great number of opinions that are out there today, when we contemplate how easy it is to be so easily drawn to style over substance, Well, Paul's counsel here is very timely. For surely it impacts what happens when we and when we invite others to meet up. So let's look in Colossians this morning, chapter two, beginning at verse one. Paul writes, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and all those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally. Paul comes right out of the gate in this chapter with this phrase, how hard I am contending for you. Now this phrase could also be translated, I want you to know how how great is the contest for which I am engaged on your behalf. What is Paul not saying here? Well, it's not, you people are wearing me out. Although I can assure you, as a minister, he probably did think that from time to time. Paul does use here athletic imagery. I'm I'm exercising spiritually every day. I'm working hard. I'm fighting hard in the spiritual realm against the false teaching that's wearing on your faith. Paul has a finish line in mind here that they would know Jesus. He expresses this finish line particularly through two goals for all who will receive these words. He says in verse 2, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, there's goal one, and united in love, goal two, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they might know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul spells out here two goals with life-changing impact on all who believe. Goal one, that they are encouraged in heart. Goal two, that they are united in love. And so we have this word goals. Now, that's a word we hear a lot about, right? Whether you're in academia, whether you are in the business place, even in nonprofit sector, we have this word goals that we, we use quite a bit. Organizations of all shapes and sizes develop goals. We've got profit goals. We've got exercise goals, project goals, deadlines, margins, safety records. The list goes on and on and on. So what is the purpose of a goal? It's to motivate us, right? Isn't that why we put goals in place? Sometimes goals motivate us and sometimes they do not. 
If you go back in the United States history, there actually have been several companies who tried to seize on the motivational side of goal setting by developing posters. Actually, we can go back like to the 1920s. There was a company called Parker Holiday, and they built a line of motivational posters just like the one you're going to see on screen. This is around a character called Bill Jones, and they sold these posters on a subscription basis to all different types of employers. And these posters were all the rage in the United States until the Great Depression hit and about one-fourth of people in the workforce lost their jobs. Kind of hard to be motivated, right, if you don't have work. The most iconic motivational poster of the World War II era is the We Can Do It poster, and this featured Rosie the Riveter. Now, this poster adorned the walls of factories all across the United States, and it had really one primary goal that it was trying to push through, and that is encouraging women to help us with the goal of defeating the enemy. And so the decades passed, And the look and the feel of motivational posters began to change. And one of the most successful brands was launched in the mid-80s by entrepreneur Mark Anderson, no relation. He had a company called Successories. And he created a design formula that carried across all of their motivational posters. Usually there was a solid border. It was either black or gray. Um, And then there was a photo, and there was some type of a really bold text. Maybe it was one word, or maybe it was a phrase. And underneath that, there would be a little bit more of a description about what this goal is about or what this poster is about that's designed to motivate. And so here's an example of one of these successory posters above and beyond when a team of dedicated individuals individuals makes a commitment to act as one the sky's the limit do you feel motivated did you see that pretty cool isn't it you know planes and stuff and i guess you put that in your office and you look at it and you'll you'll be more motivated to do your job well some people decided to ride the coattails of this phenomenon and they began lampooning these posters via wit and sarcasm and uh, some of it is a little bit humorous So I want you to consider just a couple of examples. Here's one called moving goalposts. Because nothing motivates employees like setting a goal, reaching that goal, and then being told it's not good enough. Isn't that great? I love this one. It's called limitations. Until you spread your wings, you'll have no idea how far you can walk. Isn't that great? But this may be my favorite of all, goals. If you can see it, you can reach it, except for that tree. You'll never reach it. <laughs> Just in case you missed it, there's a lion right there in the, uh, in, in, the, in the bush, okay? So we can laugh at scenarios like this because, quite frankly, it's pretty unlikely that we will ever find ourselves staring down a lion. But Peter does say something about a lion. A lion is dead set against us living into these goals that Paul outlines for believers in Colossians chapter 2. I want you to notice these words in 1 Peter 5, 8. Keep awake. Watch at all times. The devil is working against you. He's, he's walking around like a hungry lion with his mouth open. He's looking for someone to eat. So think with me for a moment. If, if Paul's goal is that believers are encouraged in heart, then what is Satan's goal? 
It's okay to, it's okay to talk in church. What, what is Satan's goal? That we would be discouraged. That we would be discouraged in heart. If Paul's goal is that believers are united in love, then what is Satan's goal? Division. That we're against each other. We tear each other down, right? I think it helps us understand what Paul says next while also helping us understand what the Colossians were up against. In verse 4 we read, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Now, this is the first indication in the book of Colossians that we have about this false teaching that is wearing on their faith. The Colossians would have known the source of these fine-sounding arguments that Paul addresses here. Names and faces would have popped into their minds as they thought about those who waxed eloquently about the virtues of knowledge mixed in with a religious dash of this and a a pagan pinch of that. And they may sound quite knowledgeable, Paul observes, and perhaps can even argue with the best of them. But the bottom line is we must always be on our guard. And whatever we do, we must not confuse style with substance. And that's the first truth of the morning as we think about this text. Church, never confuse style with substance. I think perhaps this is why the Hebrew writer wrote the following. Now faith is the, say this word with me, substance of things hoped for. We seem to be in a a style spiral these days. Wanting to be the first to have the newest, next big thing, only being disillusioned in a matter of months and possibly even days when the newest, next big thing begins to trend. It's hard enough when we live under our parents' roof, but when we get out on our own, when we start doing this thing called adulting, the pressures may be even greater. Mom and dad aren't there to help you make every single decision. You can lean into your parents' faith for a while, but at some point, it has to become your own. In the case of the Colossians, they had leaned into Epaphras, and, and they had leaned into the teachings of the Apostle Paul, and now he encourages them to lean into the most sustainable and most substantive relationship of all, a relationship with Jesus, who is the Christ. And so he continues, for though I am absent with you in body, or from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. If I think in terms of of style and substance, and I think about planting seeds in various types of soil, the roots of style are in very shallow soil. Producing something that looks healthy and and enticing in its infancy, but it never ultimately satisfies. And, and, And why is that? 
Because things go in and out of style, right? But substance, that's rich, deep soil. Where plants not only survive and bear fruit, but where seeds can sprout up and and they too can thrive so that everything in the ecosystem, it's all fed, it's all blessed. Keep this in mind. This was once considered stylish. Okay? Those are called bell bottoms because the bottom of the pant legs looked like a bell. Okay? And they made really lots of loud swishing noises as you walked in those. But that's not substance. It's just style. It's not substance. Style comes and goes, right? And while Paul is not addressing the fashion industry, he is addressing the tendency of us as humans to feed the beast of insecurity, of emptiness, of shiny objects, and and left unchecked, if we focus on these things, and move our focus away from the everlasting love of Jesus to the perpetual and never satisfying litany of quick fixes and more and more and more and more stuff. I think this is why Paul writes, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. This is just one more way to say style will not sustain you. Only substance can do that. And Jesus, whose name is above all name, above all names and whose authority is above all authorities, Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. It doesn't get any more substantive than that. Here's the truth. Style meets a temporary want or a temporary need. Jesus meets every want and every need. Paul can write with confidence, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So there's this interesting phrase here. We saw it last Sunday, a circumcision not performed by human hands. It's a statement that really addresses two things. First, Paul takes on and he undermines the teachings of the ascetic crowd, those who who taught that by our own stripes we are healed or, or possibly enlightened. And second, I want to point out, I I think the NIV mistranslates here. It's not the circumcision of those Paul is writing to. I, I think it's actually the circumcision of Jesus. Not in physical terms, but in spiritual terms. Not cutting off a part of the body, but cutting off his whole body of flesh through death, and they are invited to participate in that death, in that burial, in that resurrection. That's where the baptism imagery comes in. 
On this passage, the authors of the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary write, Just as believers, dying with Christ is not a physical death, but a spiritual dying to sin with clear ethical consequences, so also their being circumcised with Christ is not the cutting off of their physical existence and death, but a spiritual circumcision that also has particular ethical consequences. A lot of big fancy words basically to say that joining Jesus in his death and joining Jesus in his resurrection, it changes the way that we treat people. It changes what happens when we're together. Because I want you to think about this. Under the former covenant, remember this is a circumcision that is not done with hands. Under the former covenant, what were people always inclined to make with their hands? If you said idols, you got it right. That's exactly right. When trusting style, I am much more likely... Let me, let me back up. I'm going to go so far as to say it is unavoidable. When trusting style... I will be much more likely to worship the idols that I make or those that are based on the work of my hands. But Paul calls us so far beyond style. He calls us to substance. A circumcision not performed by human hands, it refers to the work of God's hands. And when we believe and what God has done, when we trust His substance more than our style, then we can fully live into a text that Kelly shared a few weeks ago from Colossians 3, verses 9 through 10. Don't, don't lie to each other. And put your sin of choice in there, by the way. Don't defraud one another. Don't cheat one another. Don't cut one another down. Don't belittle one another. On and on and on. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And have put on the new self. Which is being renewed. And knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul explicitly ties this transformation to baptism. An outward sign of an inward transformation. As I think about what he's describing here, I, I can't help but be reminded of the words from one of my favorite bluegrass songs. And yes, I realize that by saying that, my coolness factor just dropped precipitously. But that's okay. It didn't really have far to go anyway. The song is entitled, Two Coats. And it goes like this. Two coats were before me an old and a new. And I asked my dear master, what must I do? The first coat was ugly and tattered and torn. The other, a new one that had never been worn. I'll tell you the best thing I ever did do. I took off the old coat and I put on the new. It's the third truth we see in this passage. Christ is risen from the dead, and so are we. We've looked at a few key truths today, truths that impact what happened when we meet up and even when we're apart. Church, I challenge you to never confuse style with substance. 
I want to encourage you in this truth that style meets a temporary want and a temporary need, but Jesus meets every want and every need. And I pray you own your hearts that, yes, the Christ, Jesus, who is the Christ, is truly risen from the dead. And as a result of that, so are we. And that impacts how we treat one another because surely if we believe it, we're going to live it. Amen? Amen. The text is yours this morning. I pray that it's been a blessing to you. Continue reading through this book of Colossians. Continue your study and your personal time as God continues to shape and mold us more and more into His image. We're going to share a song together this morning. If you want to take off that old coat and put on the new and be baptized this morning, what an incredible blessing that would be. We welcome that opportunity to baptize you. If you have a prayer request this morning, our elders will be at the very back of the room and they're willing to receive you there. Church, let's stand together. Let's praise our Lord as we shout out our praise to him.